Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another Bald Move Prestige film. Uh, this is a commissioned podcast, and you have Nicholas Malcolm to thank slash curse for having to think about Requiem for a Dream, uh, which is the 2000 Darren Aronofsky film, um, which I don't even know how to describe this movie. Uh, a drug epic. It, it kind of comes close. Uh, a cautionary tale, to put it mildly. Uh, it is directed by Aronofsky, who first uh, got his feet wet with Pi, uh, then directed The Fountain. I'm not not science. I'm not sawing I'm either of them sold. films. Uh, but the next, uh, I'm well familiar with the next part of his library: The Wrestler, Black Swan, Mother. All of them worth watching. I don't know about Mother. God, I, I should didn't probably know he did get, The Wrestler. That's awesome. He did. He did. Um, it's a screenplay by Hubert Shelby Jr. and Darren Aronofsky. Uh, Shelby Jr. wrote two novels, The Last Exit to Brooklyn in 1964 and Requiem for wow. a Dream in 1978 that explore worlds in New York City that went on to be adapted to films. Uh, it stars Ellen Burstyn, who is one of those rare triple crown of acting winners where she's won an Academy Award, a Tony, and an Emmy Award. And you You've got- seen her in the X. Ex- is it the EGOT? No, is that the she, EGOT? She she hasn't. You got to so get a Grammy. Grammy. Yeah. You got to do Grammy. Yeah, this is the triple crown. Okay. Uh, Oscar, Emmy, Tony. Yeah. Uh, she's in The Exorcist, of course. Also, Scorsese's Alice Doesn't Live Here Anymore. Um, and then I've seen her recently, I guess semi-recently in House of Cards, the political thriller on Netflix. Also stars Jared Leto. Or Leto? Leto. I don't know. Uh, Fight Club gets his teeth beat out in Fight Club. He gets uh, shot up in Thin Red Line. He's in American Psycho, Panic Room, Lord of War, won an Oscar for his work as a trans woman in uh, Dallas Buyers Club. Got in. Last one through the door. Uh, We still win an Oscar for for doing that. (laughs) Uh Kind of sucked in Blade Runner 2049. One of the worst Jokers in Suicide Squad. Also stars Jennifer Connelly who changed my life as a young man in the movie Career Opportunities hmm. uh, and The Rocketeer, for that matter. We've also seen her in Labyrinth. Uh, she's amazing in Dark City. It's an amazing film. She won an Oscar for her work in A Beautiful Mind. Recently, she's been spotted in Alita Battle Angel and the TV show Snowpiercer. Hmm. Also, Marlon Wayans, one of the many Wayans running around out there in Hollywood. Yeah. Uh, you've seen him in Scary Movie, White Chick, Fifty Shades of Black. This is no, undoubtedly the best thing he's ever done. Uh huh. Coincidentally, White Chicks was on when I was out in Colorado and we were watching, you know, uh, Hotel oh, Cable and I flipped God. it on and Jack's like, what the fuck is this? And I'm like, you know what? Let's well, I watched the last 30. 30- <laughs> that film. What the fuck? Yeah. Um, Christopher McDonald. You know him as Shooter McGavin in Happy Gilmore. Mm-hmm. He's also in Thelma and Louise and lent his voice to the Iron Giant. And then Mark Margolis. Margolis. Uh, he is Uncle Tio. <laughs> Hector Salamanca uh-huh. in Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul. Also the Shadow and Scarface. Finally, Keith David. Uh, he is currently right. the president on Rick and Morty and one of the last men standing on The Thing. Mass Effect. If you're a fan, you know him. Yeah. Uh this film I watched in what uh, one of the what is one of the first films I watched coming out of the cult and getting into like uh, you know serious movies and I remember thinking I don't ever want to see this movie again and here fifteen years later Nicholas is making me watch it. Um, do we want to talk about our thoughts on the film or do we want to get a little bit into what Nick has to say? 
Uh, I'd like to hear what Nick has to say, and then I want to hear what you have to say about this movie. Okay, because he's got a bunch of points that we'll consider throughout the podcast, but his, his preamble is, this is the kind of movie where I don't know if I should say thank you or I'm sorry for the commission. A little bit of both. Uh, as a longtime Bald Move fan and club member, I've wanted to do a commission for years, but always struggled with what film to pick. A phrase Aaron has used many times through the years is baby's first prestige film. Oh, boy. I'm sorry, baby, if this is your first one. <laughs> I finally landed on the film. I remember vividly being uh, my first prestige film experience. Requiem for a Dream came out when I was in high school and it quickly became the movie me and my nerd friends showed everyone we could all the way through college. I hadn't watched this film in well over 15 years. And I was as I was revisiting it, I was blown away again by the cinematography, the acting, the themes and that damn soundtrack. Exploring themes of addiction, loneliness, hope, and uh, lies we tell ourselves and others. This movie hit me just as hard as the other night on my rewatch as it did when I was 17. I appreciate you both giving it a go and for all you do for the community. I honestly will not be disappointed or upset if you hate this movie upon rewatch. I know it was a gamble and I was planning on a happier, more fun commission in the future. So critique and podcast away. Uh, I got lots more thoughts we'll get to in the fullness of time. But yes, Jim, what did you think of this movie? Um, so I have roughly the same feelings as, uh, the commissioner does on this movie. I'm, I, I saw this in high school too. Uh, in 2000, I was just graduating and this is one of the first DVDs I actually owned this, oh. the matrix, um, a couple of others. And I remember watching it and being totally blown away by it and thinking, like you said before the podcast this is the movie that put me off ever trying really any hard drug anything harder than weed. I'm no, thanks. Don't, don't need it. Not even once kind of thing on heroin, meth, any of that stuff. Um, mm-hmm. it, it's, it's certainly a cautionary tale. It's it, first and foremost. So I guess I should say, say my relationship with this movie has changed um, after watching it for what I think is only the second time yesterday uh i no longer find it just to be a story about people who get caught up in drugs and uh have bad things happen to them i find it more i I see it more at the base level where this is like a story about yearning this is a story about human um desires thing things like that this there's more to it there's more thematic stuff going on here than i first realized when I when I watched it when I was 18 years old um, and I, I came to a new appreciation of it. it it didn't strike me in the exact same way that it did the first time because I didn't know what was up the first time you know I, I saw it and I was like man that is just completely fucked up at the end and it is it definitely still is but I know it's coming now um, and I'm able to kind of relax into this movie in a way that I wasn't the first time and just appreciate it more for what it has to say than just like the way it's saying it because it's very stylized movie too. It's got a lot of like flourishes of both, you know, cinematography, but also editing um, that I think add a lot to it. It has a very, very good soundtrack and not just oh my this, God. this Lux Eterna theme, which we'll probably talk about here in a minute, but it also has a lot of other really interesting musical notes. I think there there's a lot of like po- post-industrial proto 
uh, electronica type stuff in here that's it's really weird that I've only heard in like one other place and it's from it, it, at that time it was from I think the city crow city of angels soundtrack there's mm. a track on there called by a band called ear 2000 which was David Arquette's band I think and it it sounds a lot like what's going on at the beginning of this movie. I it's a that's a very specific like me thing I, to know that. I don't know why I know that, but I do. Um, and, and yeah, I was just really interested in what this movie was doing at the time. Now I'm even more interested in it. I think it's, I think it's a, it fundamentally works even better than I realized. The soundtrack is is amazing, and what's because I you know I haven't seen it in fifteen years. What I I'd forgotten about the soundtrack, yeah. Um, and I'm like, oh my god, this keeps on coming back. And I I I I guess I'd forgotten that this wasn't a classic piece. This isn't something that Beethoven wrote on the day he was about to blow his brains out, <laughs> right? Um, it feels like that, but it uh, feels fresh and new. And it's also been lifted by everything uh i don't know if you've mentioned it yet but like the lord of the rings the two towers use this to kind of set it off and it's just the trailer anytime, though, it was never in the movie which is weird is never is never in a movie anytime that you want to build tension despair uh you know you you you, bla- you blaze out the this thing um and, that and was the, written by clint manzel he's who's also done all of aronofsky's uh, uh scores since except for mother oddly enough Oh, weird. And his Kronos Quartet. Um, it's, yeah, like this. And it's kind of relentless the way the film is, because the film is set with these like um, disparate loops that loop tighter and tighter and harder and harder and faster and faster, like a tilt-a-whirl until the end. And this, uh, every single one is met with this bleak soundtrack, just, just, just wrenching the emotion and the despair out of you. Uh, it's iconic. Yeah. Uh, and I guess I should have realized, you know, I was not a very sophisticated movie watcher when I was 18, right? Sure. As as most of us probably aren't. I, I should have realized the name of this movie should have told me that there was more going on than just like the epic drug movie that you're, that you're talking about. Uh, I mean, Requiem for a Dream is such an evocative name. It's, it's uh, Requiem is like a, essentially a mass grave. Uh and then to put all your dreams into a mass grave says so much about what's happening in this movie. Um, yeah, I am. I'm surprised I didn't pick up on that earlier. Yeah. And specifically there, the rec, the dream that's the rec that you're holding a requiem for is the American one. Um, and it's interesting because it yeah. is bound up in drugs, but it's also, this is a movie about desire yeah. and wanting, more expectations yeah Um, living up to expectations like we're all born as children that just want to be loved and connected and uh as adults we end up especially in modern times alienated and alone and what do you you know what is your drug of choice to take the edge off that is it so is it social media is it the esteem of your peers? Is it success in uh, uh, your 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 vocation? Is it uh, numbing your mind with television and movies? Ooh, 
video game. Whoo, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm hitting, I'm hitting close to the, my, my personal <laughs> marks here. Like what, what is the thing that will allow you to, 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 you know, what's the thing that's, that's the thing that you're doing to take the edge off that disconnection and that alienation. And what is it doing to actually promote that disconnection alienation? Yeah. Cause that's the thing. Like, yeah, this is about, and I almost, man, I, that's what I kept on wondering. If there's a way to retool this movie where the mother's arc didn't involve drugs because sure. there is, you know, this this um, kind of need for this the, the the stand out and to be something more than you are and to be better to mm-hmm. be better to you know keep up the Joneses or pass the Joneses that I think doesn't require a narcotic and it's it was kind of um, but I don't know because it's just and to uh, be needed the, you know to, yeah. to to have a place in society where you feel like you are doing a thing worth doing. Um, yeah, because I think that's the mother's arc in this. And it's also like the, this is, I think, pre-opioid crisis, but it allowed them right. to get into the idea that uh, here's a person who's probably horrified at the concept of hard drugs, street drugs. The mm-hmm. movie opens with her son stealing her television in a ritual so he can get his next fix. But she goes to see a doctor for a medical issue and he'll prescribe him a drug. And when the effects of those drugs start with another drug to take the edge off. And this is a thing that a lot of housewives got into in the 60s, 70s and 80s diet pills and things. I think they're all outlawed now um, or they're extremely controlled substance like everything. But it's kind of interesting the way that uh, because that that. Man, we just did. Two, this is a doubleheader day. We did Truman Show and this, and like we talk about how prescient because the mother's arc is very much, you know, like I remember growing up and being like, "Oh, chronic, we got these panacea, we got these uh, these super opioids, and you know, no one has to be in pain anymore." And doctors are writing, you know, you get you get ninety Vicodin uh, right. for a month supply, and they'll just keep it. It's got six refills and no problem at all. And then when the dies like, oh, we got, it's it, like all the problems that sh- that that they're caused by by that. Yeah. Um, so so people that like your mother, like it's easy to point your finger at Jared Leto and Jennifer Connelly and the and and uh, uh, whichever uh, Marlon Wayans and be like, well, they're yeah. just young kids and they got caught up and they took things to. You can't say that about the mom. No. And she has as I mean, everyone in this movie has a horrible, horrible arc. Oh, yeah. Uh, that goes nowhere. Um, nowhere good. It's it's kind of like uh, the anti um, Goodfellas, where like the good times are in the first fifteen and twenty minutes, and then it's an hour, and the other hour and thirty minutes is the descent to hell. Whereas uh-huh. Goodfellas is the meteoric ride to the top, and you're the, and then it's like the last thirty minutes is the, this is just and and you kind of think there's a couple points in the movie where I remember when I watched it, it's like well one of these people is going to walk away and and be the contrast to the others having a terror but n- no no um it's black despair for very four different reasons and four very different people and how he yeah. uses the language of cinema to tie all those stories together the way you know the curl the 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 fetal position curl that mm-hmm. uh you know i didn't think this movie would break me Cause I was like getting into the climax of the film. I was like, you know what? I'm dry eyed. Like I've been kind of like an emotional detachment to this movie, but there's the one, one scene that got me and it's fucking Marlon Wayans on top of it. Cause I'd forgotten that particular element of what he throws in at the end. And I just like, Oh my God. Uh, and suddenly I was, I was yeah. sobbing uh, to the, the Kronos quartet. Yeah. With um, the flashbacks and all that stuff. Sure. 
Sure. Yeah. 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 So it's a, uh, it's a, it's, it's a great film. I feel like everyone should see it at least once. Um, but, but, but man, yeah, I, I'm going to try to live my life to where I don't have to see it again. Cause I was also surprising <laughs> at how effective some of the scenes are. Like they didn't get me into, but like just hard, hard to watch, hard to watch stuff. Uh-huh. Uh, do you have any other opening thoughts on this film? I, I would say this, this movie is not all harrowing, terrible stuff happening to people too. There's also a seductive, sexy side to it at times. It's like that very relationship watchable. between Jared Leto and Jennifer Connelly, uh, y- you kind of feel that. I, I don't know if uh-huh. everybody's been in this situation, but I, I definitely felt like, oh, that sort of young love, sort of taking over your mind and your future, your potential, um, and just the way that feels. That it's very evocative yeah. for that too. And you're so young, and you're and you're beautiful, and everything's amazing. And this person's the most wonderful person. Jennifer Connelly's just a goddamn sweetheart. Like it's her and Elizabeth oh, Shue yeah. up there in terms of like childhood crushes. And I think it makes it to the extent that you identify with either you know these young uh, any of the young characters. Um, it's it's pretty hard to watch because they are they have so much. The movie makes that explicit. Like, you you know, we're all born with this unlimited potential and, and love in our hearts. And then and like, what the fuck happens to us? Mm-hmm. Um, this movie is also kind of revolutionary or avant-garde in the way it was shot. Um, the, I, I saw that the average uh, movie of this length has between four and 600 shots, uh, edits to it, uh, cuts. This movie has over 2000. Makes sense. And there's so many like this movie is so influential to like Breaking Bad or Edgar Wright uh, stuff. Um, yes. Yeah. Yes. Oh, my God. Yes. Those, the, those the quick, quick cuts, cuts mm-hmm. those little mini montages, the deal, the montages, the cooking montages, the shooting montages like this. These are all yeah. things that you will immediately recognize in the DNA of Breaking Bad and uh, the the Coronado trilogy and things like that. Um, really pushing the the boundaries of what like this is kind of like a movie length music video the way it's shot with the yeah. driving propulsive soundtrack with the quick editing with the repetitive imagery because like you know it's like you've got a verse and then here comes the chorus and it's the the pupils uh, expanding and the drugs dissolving and the you know the the pills popping and the yeah. teeth grinding it it has that kind of like you know rhythm because that's the sense like it, this is a it's a tough movie to watch because of what it puts you through, but it's easy to watch because mm-hmm. it does feel like a music video. It's just like every scene kind of like begs you to come into the next one and you, there's not a good place to stop. And it, it kind of hooks you with this crazy scenario in the beginning um, that's kind of comedic. And, you know, I, I guess it shares a lot. Like Train Spotting is a movie that's kind of fun to watch and it has like two or three gut punches. Mm-hmm. Where this is a movie that felt feels more like what I've heard describe a heroin addiction works where like you first get into heroin. It's like, how can this drug be bad? It just makes everything better. It makes my life right. easier. It makes and then it stops becoming fun. It becomes something that you have to do just to feel normal. And it's it's a slow descent and like so much damage that's accumulating that you don't even know until it's too late to fix in terms of psychological, in terms of biological damage. It feels more like instead of like having, you know, everything's kind of cool and good times and there's a gut punch. It's just 
you know, you keep on walking the road to hell until you look back and you can't get back. And then the final gut punch is this is the rest of your life. You've already done fucked up any potential that you could have ever had. And there's no way to get it back. You know, I don't think it's that bleak. Sure. Sure. Maybe Aronofsky should make after it, but yeah, it would be interesting for him to do a, um, I don't know if you'd ever probably not, but if you did a sequel with like uh, Connolly um, and Leto, that like where are they now? Like, did any of them make it? Did any of them are able to pull their lives out? Because like you know, the one that probably has the best chance is Jennifer Connolly's character Marion because she's from a wealthy family, so she could do sure. rehab and probably get on without much more than a bunch of just horrific memories. Yeah, but everybody else feels like they're pretty well and fucked. You know? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'd say the the person who got out with the least like actual scarring feels like Marlon Wayans Tyrone character. Um, but he's in prison for who knows how long. That, that, that's the one A thing. Felon. That's the one place where does this movie hang together for that? Like I, mm. that's the one place I feel like this movie doesn't quite work. Is I didn't understand how they could go to like federal prison for being at oh well he gets arrested twice in this movie yeah and i think it's i think there is the idea of like he's probably got a large amount of money on him he's probably got an amount of drugs on him they probably he's got the prior so he might be going away depending on what state he got pulled over that's the other thing yeah you know there's states in the union right now that if you're if you've got and ate the weed on you, you're going to do some fucking serious time. Uh, <laughs> you know, like you don't want to get sure. pulled over driving from Colorado on your drug trip back to, you know, the Midwest and you don't want to get pulled over in fucking Kansas or yeah. I think Nebraska. It's kind of wild and scary. So yeah, I'm still not and sure that, that, that he's spending the rest of his life in prison for having a bunch of money and maybe a small amount of drugs on him. Maybe not the rest of your life, but like as a black young black man with two uh-huh. felonies, what does your life look like? You know? Yeah, that's the, no, that's it's the definitely whole, not that's the, the way he trap. hoped it would have turned out. It's definitely not something that's going to fulfill his desires. Let's say before we get into spoilers. Um, yeah, but yeah, yeah. no, I, are we ready to talk? Uh, ready to talk Turkey? Should I do the little rundown for people who haven't seen this movie? I am ready to to juice by Tappy. Yes. <laughs> uh, so this is a movie about four people that are bound together by the plot. You've got a girlfriend, a boyfriend, the mother of the boyfriend, and then the best friend of the boyfriend. And they are all going to get into drugs for different reasons and different types of drugs. The mother's going to abuse uppers and the kids are going to abuse downers, opioids. And they're all going to do it for different reasons and different motivations. And they're all going to find just the the bleakest, roughest end by the end of this movie. And it's going to happen by stages. It's going to look like things are are going good and things are improving and then things are going to get bad. It's it's a real roller coaster and it's got four like consecutive hard gut punches at the end um and just like it's one of those things where like that you want the movie to stop 10 or 15 minutes before it does because the last yeah. 10 minutes of this movie they're just hurting you the audience and the images you know? I guarantee will stick with you for the rest of your oh, life cuz this marish <laughs> this crescendo here is burned into my memory yeah yeah 
Uh, and it's funny because like it's it's very memeable, you know, the whole ass to ass is the uh, sure. you know, that's that's the but if it's it's funny that that's become a meme because like if you've watched the movie, uh, I guess if you watch it as a callow youth, then but like how do you bake that funny? Um, because in context, it's it's really goddamn horrific. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it's it's got a great soundtrack that you will have heard a million times before if you didn't know it. Uh, this is the the this is what uh, created this is what put this uh, this dun dun kind of uh, driving uh, uh amazing operatic music on the map. Um, can I open up the dialogue with a little bomb I want to throw? Oh boy, sure. Is Jared Leto good? Jared Leto is great in this movie. Is he? J- Jared Leto is kind of amazing in this movie. He he has the best drugged out face that I've maybe ever seen. And I but but he can turn it on and off and that's the thing that's so impressive to me. Like if it was just oh they hired a guy who looks like a druggie. If they hired fucking Skinny Pete to play this, I'm like, "Oh, well, yeah, he's Skinny Pete. Of course he looks drugged out." Jared Leto has the ability to go between clean cut Harry who's in love with a girl and has a promising future to zoned out drug face in a in a split second. He can do it. And I see him do it in this movie a couple of times. I think mm. he's great in this movie. I think he's great in movies like Lord of War, which is is very I good. I do like Lord of War. Yeah. I think he can also be pretty bad and he can be very bad in some cases. It seems like he, uh, that's the thing. It's like, this is the movie that kind of got him on a start and like, he's turned into a full on fart huffer at this point. He's just like, loves his own, <laughs> loves his own smell. He loves his acting method. It, it, you know, he, he famously hung out with junkies and injected water. Wink, wink. When, when they were injecting heroin to kind of get what that was all about. And, I don't know because like to me he's playing like I he's the only character that feels false. Come on, Ma, come on. He's like playing this like weird West Side story hmm. Brooklyn burnout and it just doesn't work for me. It feels like I'm watching a guy do a performance, uh especially anytime he opens right. his mouth to do the dialogue. Um I mean, don't get me wrong, I still feel sorry for him. He does in gin, but like I think he's the worst of the performances um in a movie in, where in all the, the performances to a lesser or greater degree are amazing like Ellen maybe Burstyn, it's just like oh, fuck oh yeah, my Ellen god so good in this movie oh my it's god goddamn yeah. travesty she was nominated for an oscar for this movie do you have any idea what movie might have won in the 2000 2001 oscars is this 98 or is this 2000 was what? this 2000 it's 2000 yeah mm. what what actress might have beat her out and for what movie? Uh, what? No, I can't think. She lost to Julia Roberts for Aaron Brockovich. I haven't seen that movie. Which the I Julia have seen that movie. Fucking Roberts? Julia... Are you kidding me? I mean, that's Oscar bait, and she fucking landed a big <sighs> one. But yeah, how in the hell? How in the hell can you put Julia Roberts wearing a push-up bra? Right, and being and being a smart para yeah, smart para lawyer against what uh, Burston's doing in this because yeah, this is from. You know, and that's the thing is like when I started watching this movie, I forgotten that Alan Burston played the mother. Like I, I knew her arc, but I forgot that she is the mom getting the, the TV stolen. I thought that was just some incidental yeah. character because she's almost unrecognizable. She's wearing this fat suit. 
Um, you know, she's she's doesn't have a stitch of makeup on. She's wearing his house muumuu and she's just like, you know, locking herself in orange but, joker hair. Yeah. Yeah, the orange the no. it the I I don't know. Like they, this is the type of performance people call brave because it just allows yeah. you to become completely dehumanized, which mm-hmm. ultimately is the most human thing <laughs> that you can do as an actor, it seems like. That's the most impressive thing is just to not like uh-huh. You know, here's a class of persons obsessed with their looks and their appeal and being likable and connecting to the audience. And they're just destroying all of that to tell a larger story. I mean, didn't Charlize and Theron win a, an Oscar for doing this in what? Monster? Monster? Yeah, it's Monster, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah. She plays Eileen Wernos. Right? She did essentially the same thing. Uh, yeah, and there's mortification of the flesh. Uh, you know, like, uh, cause she loses 20, she, she wears a 40 pound fat suit, a 20 pound fat suit. And then at the end, I think lost 20 pounds to play this person. Who's just, I, I didn't even, I know that this was a thing that you could get, you could tweak so hard that it literally breaks, breaks your brain. Yeah. Um, scary. Yeah. And I guess I did some, like, there is this type of psychosis that you can induce by just taking like massive amounts of uppers and then downers to try to take the edge off and, but it, it, it's, it's it's like it's just like you know heroin. It it seems like it works so well until it doesn't. But but go back. I I can't tell if like is this a circle jerk where like in the last decade we just decided Jared Leto just sucks, and it kind of started with like the fallout from his Oscar win and the the Buyers Club, and then it's like you know then he was the Joker and he's like throwing what, used condoms you, on Margot Robbie. And, <laughs> what and do you mean the, the fallout from Dallas Buyers Club? Because I remember Jared Leto being amazing in Dallas Buyers Club. I can't remember. I, I did too. And I really like that film, but it's like I said, it's like you can't be a straight man and play a trans woman. You can't be a straight not person. Play. I mean, you, you can't, and it's not that you can't, because like, I think that's something sure. we should unpack. It's not that you, it's not because like, again, uh, what is acting other than pretending what you, what you're not. Right. The fact that there are so many gay, you know, lesbian, bisexual, transsexual people, queer people in Hollywood that don't get a fair shake, that if you give it to someone who's kind of like the default setting for dude Mm -hmm. so that they can kind of stunt and win an Oscar, it feels like it feels like a a wealthy. It feels like a wealthy kid breaking a, a poor kid's toy. Yeah. You know, just because, you know, like uh, that you can't have any nice things. And, and 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 that's like it's one of those things where I kind of feel bad because this is a very recent thing until mm-hmm. until recently you would get celebrated for that kind of turn. It's kind of like we, you know, uh, we've all decided this is bad. And but also I do feel like there's a little bit of that like Suicide Squad behind the story, Blade Runner behind the story where it's like he does seem like he's a megalomaniacal asshole. Yeah, he's um, a peculiar guy and, for sure. And and I was because I was like, well, okay, this is I I was excited to see this performance because like, well, this is a Jared Leto that put him on the map and he was still hungry and he's a young artist and he's blah, blah, blah. And I was underwhelmed. I was very underwhelmed. My wife told me he's basically a weeb, which I didn't know. Um, But maybe I should have known because I I get the feeling that he really, really enjoyed doing that Blade Runner role. Um, Apparently, Mm. 30 Seconds to Mars's imagery is like a big anime thing. I don't know. Um, Yeah. Apparently he's really into like anime and shit, but all right. There's uh, nothing wrong with that. I don't know know where you get that from throwing used condoms on people uh, and putting dead rats in their, their trailers. But I I have not heard these stories. See, maybe that's why I like Jared. Yeah. He's a, so he's an extreme method actor. Like 
Yeah. If you if you read uh, like you know like he he hung out with strung out junkies, uh, pejor- and it's a pejorative term, uh, but yeah, the, the, to study for this, he hung out with uh, you know people dying of AIDS and trans uh, uh, transgender people to study for like he's a just immersive. So I mean, and he like fine. maintains that character throughout the. Fu- but like when you're being a guy like the Joker, that can yeah. become kind of problematic. When you're being a megalomaniacal, you know, uh, future business owner, like that could lead you into dark places that so why why do we celebrate guys like heath ledger why do we celebrate daniel day lewis people who you know because he didn't have actors complaining i mean that's the thing is like there is a little bit because like for sure if you go back far enough you you see tons of actors and actresses complaining about being abused by fellow actors and directors in the name of a performance totally but also, you don't see like Daniel Day. Daniel Day Lewis, like he again mortifies his own flesh. But it's not like uh, you know. I want to know what it's like to scalp a person, so I went and scalped a homeless person. You know, just because sure. I just want to know what it's like to peel the flesh back off someone's skull. Yeah. Whereas like Le- Leto seems like he's the type of guy that would beat up a homeless person just to see what it felt like. You know, I, I, I that that might be also like <laughs> I, I don't know. Like there's also this I don't know. There's this a kind of creepy thing to him too, where he's uh-huh. weird. I don't know. I, I it, it, this could be just hate. This could be just me being a hater. He doesn't seem like a normal dude. I don't like him in every movie he's been in. And in fact, I think he's terrible in some movies, but I think he's great in this movie. I I think he's great in Dallas Buyers Club. I, he, he's, I will also say not um, a name that immediately attracts me to a movie. He doesn't put me off a movie, but he doesn't attract me to a movie either. Yeah, for this big Oscar winning young actor, like he doesn't get he, he, he should be a kind of like a Jake Gyllenhaal type, but he just isn't that for me because yeah. I think that's everything. Chocolate Mike and chat's kind of nailing it is that the thing about Daniel Day Lewis is he puts in all this work. He does all this method acting and you go see the movie and like, oh, my God, that's a fucking amazing performance. And you hear mm-hmm. all this crazy shit. And then his Joker is just this kind yeah. of pathetic thing. And it's like. Yeah, it's that that great method actor stuff is very impressive when it works. When it doesn't work, it's just you're some asshole sure. doing asshole shit, <laughs> yeah. and we didn't even get any enjoyment from it. You know? Uh huh. You're right. Um, how about Marlon Wayans? This this is a movie. It's one of the few Marlon Wayans and or Jared Leto movies that I like. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's not many of them, right? Uh, they do a buddy cop film called Whiter Chicks, where they just had one the way in. It was just Marlon and <laughs> the sure. Leto. I'm sure. Um, if not, that's coming. But Marlon Wayans, I like Scary Movie was fine as a parody back in the day. I would never watch another Scary Movie movie at this point. Yeah, and um, I, I certainly wouldn't like go. Oh, Marlon Wayans is in this. I need to see it. He didn't. He is the one that made me cry in this film because, like I said, I pre- I was pretty steeled. I knew like when the electroconvulsive shock therapy stuff started, when Leto was shooting into his like rotten stump, when you know Jennifer was going ass to ass. I'm like, okay, yep, this is pretty fucking bleak, horrific shit. Mm-hmm. But the thing that got me was his flashback to his mother or grandmother, like comforting him on her lap as he was curling into his fetal position, and that like. Oh my God, we all start off as these perfect children. And this is what happens to us. It can happen to any of us. And oh my God, it could, like, I think I'm raising a pretty good kid. He's 15. He's on her. But like, what did Marion's parents think? What did Jared Mm -hmm. Leto's parents think? uh, Or Harry's parents think? And that, like, you know, uh, you can do the best job possible and your kid gets a hold of this and all that potential just 
but there's still that person that like you, you know, as like a parent, that's got to kill you. Like you're, there's still the person you, you bounce them on your knee. You comforted them as a child. You love, you gave them, I'm starting to get choked up thinking about it now, but that instant flashback where it's like, you saw him both as the child with unlimited potential. And as the man who's that potential is getting flushed away. Yeah. That was a thing that broke me for sure. You know, like fuck. And it's, it's, comes down to also his performance yeah i mean it's yeah without that performance it doesn't work i i'm very impressed by marlon wayans in this movie and never again was i impressed by marlon wayans <laughs> i haven't seen fair, everything I haven't he's seen been much in. of his stuff but also i think it's like some of the wayans yeah are co- so control c control v that i might have seen him in a thing right? or two that i really liked and i thought it was damon or <laughs> like one of his brothers yeah. or yeah, they're, they're like Baldwin's, yeah. the lesser Baldwin's in that way, right? Like the Baldwin's which, don't even hold form that that well. This is true, like some, true. you know, Cleon the drift, right? 13th shit, man. Yeah. The There's a genetic Wayans dynasty in Hollywood and no one can stop it because they, they, they still have the, the original, the, the pure clone. This guy's like, like the 2010 years. stopped it. I feel like we yeah. haven't gotten a lot of Wayans movies lately. It's true. That's true. That's true. Yeah. I, f- I feel like ever since uh shit, what's his name? Now I can't think of it. Uh ever since what's his name did the the Ray Charles movie, uh he's stolen their thunder. Whatever oh, dramatic yeah, thunder Jamie the Wayans, yeah, whatever dramatic thunder the Wayans could have had in the 2010s was stolen by Jamie Foxx. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> uh Jamie Foxx is that is like as like you know like is Jamie what's Jamie Foxx doing nowadays? I don't know. Uh, I guess he's he was in Baby Driver. Yeah, he's yeah. in Horrible Bosses. Uh, mm. I like that movie a lot. There's another crap, crap, another crop of actors that are like kind of eating his lunch now. You got the the Yaya's and you got the mm. the uh, uh, the Mahershalas and you know they're the, the, the there's yeah. there's the, the Elbas yep. yeah who still. Um, still, still, still cranking out the hits. Let's talk about the the final actor here that we haven't talked about yet, Jennifer Connelly. Uh, boy, I couldn't help but watch this movie now and think Jennifer Connelly is just '90s Allison Williams, right? Like a hundred percent. Like you could replace Allison Jennifer Connelly with Allison Williams in any movie she's been in. And they, it would just yeah. it would just work, you know. I I don't want to count Allison because we just did um, get out, get out, yeah. and we talked about how she is pretty uniquely amazing in that particular role. And I've seen Jennifer Connelly in so many things from silly and fantastic uh, and and to to sublime that. But but yeah, I, I want to say well, Allison Williams is the homeless, the, the heroin addict version of of Jennifer Connelly. <laughs> I don't know because uh, I've seen a lot I, more evidence of Jennifer Connelly being able to bring the fucking heat than I have of Miss Williams. Let's put it that way. Yeah, it might be fair. Um, I'm playing different types of characters, you know, because Allison Williams mm-hmm. is just playing like the arc ver- arch version of what she was throwing in the girls, you know. Yeah, no, um, it feels like girls a weaponized version of that whereas Mm -hmm. like what jennifer connelly is in a beautiful mind and uh and this movie is radically different than what she's doing in you know like rocketeer or uh yeah it was yeah labyrinth career opportunities um 
the Incredible Hulk. She was in one of the Incredible Hulks. Was she? God, I don't remember that. Yeah, I think she was in Ang Lee's uh, one. Yeah, she's she's. I mean, a gorgeous. B, uh, she's got the ability to to switch it on and off, just like I was talking about with Jared Leto and his drug face. She can do that with like charm and despair. Uh, yeah, just like a fucking light switch. It's so good because. Because this movie is, is not Mixum, about and Mixum like those scenes where she's sitting in the restaurant with Arnold. Mm. It, it, she's so good, so good in those scenes. There's because this movie it's a it's a drug film, right? Mm-hmm. But like I think it's about hunger and want, yeah, and how desperate people get in those situations. And it, heroin's an interesting thing because heroin is like you know you can go your whole life without having it and you're not going to die. You're going to be fine. You're going to be arguably a lot better off. Mm-hmm. but when you start taking it, it becomes like the apex hunger and want. Um, it's like a thirst that you can never quench. It's a hunger that never goes away and you can give it more. You can, your appetite gets bigger and bigger and bigger and it, it scales your stomach scales to that. It's almost like, uh, uh, like a Faustian type deal. It's like, yeah. you know, do you want to, do you want a shot of like pure happiness? Well, it's the last one you'll ever get and you'll always be chasing that high. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that like the mother's arc explicitly makes it about that hunger and want, but there's a couple of scenes like you're right where Jennifer Connelly is just such a sweetheart, mm-hmm. but she turns into like fucking Gollum where like, you're a fucking loser. You said you would have this for me. You've got nothing. And the, the, the drug in those scenes has replaced the thing that she actually wanted, right? Because I think she would have been happy with Harry, yeah. and that is what she wanted. She wanted someone who, like, she didn't care about money, right? Her parents, she says, like, my parents can give me money. That's not what I've ever wanted right. from them. She, she, yeah, she, she never wants needed from it. them she never... what she's getting from Harry, which is this this love, this sort of, like, unconditional love. And the heroine is replacing that. And that's that's yeah. the tragic thing is like she's when she does lash out at him over the heroin you can tell like this is the exact opposite of how she wanted this to go yeah and it's not the authentic person anymore you're talking right. the the drug you're talking to the person that's got it's like uh it's like a person drowning, you know, it's a famous, like if you go to save a person drowning, you got to be prepared for them trying to drown you because they will do whatever they need to do to get that breath of air. And it's the same way with this heroin addiction is that they feel like they're dying. Um, and they'll do anything to make that pain go away. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I read this Reddit comic cause like I always wondered like, you know, what is it about heroin that, you know, cause it's not like you take one shot of heroin and you're done. Right. Mm Mm-hmm. The thing about heroin is that everyone tells you it's such a bad drug. And if you try it once, it's like, well, how can this possibly? It's, it's like, cause I remember the first time I tried marijuana, I was in my early thirties and I, I, you know, I, I found out that a guy I worked with, um, who was a peer and like, apparently the entire fucking board of directors and management of this company were massive potheads. And I had no idea. He's like, well, do you want to try it? And I'm like, you know, fuck it, I guess. And like five minutes later, I'm like, I can't fucking believe this is le- this is illegal. This is just a holy bit. <laughs> this is this is an outrage. I this is mm-hmm. crazy. Like if you know, like why aren't America? And like the 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 it never occurred to me that heroin can feel the same way because a guy wrote it's like the first time he tried heroin, it's like, well, this just makes my life better. It's not that I'm yeah. fucked up. It's just I'm working and like I don't mind and like I'm I suddenly like the things that used to bother me about life just they're not important and I appreciate the person people I love so much more and 
and I feel like I'm able to like my, like, you know, my art is so much better and like I'm a better worker and I'm a better, I'm a more present husband. And that lasts up until you start developing the dependency and then it's no longer about your life being better. It's about your life being unmanageable without heroin. Hmm. And yeah. then, like, where if you go a little bit, you start experiencing those active. With, and then that's when you're fucking hooked. But, yeah. like, it doesn't seem like it's anything like the kind of drug that you think it is. And I guess I've had a little bit of experience with, like, um, you know, uh, back in the 2000s. If you had, I used to have kidney stones. I still do. I just modified my diet to not have them as much. But, I, yeah, my if I get kidney stones, my doctor would give me a thing of Vicodin to take care of it. And, boy, howdy, it does. Like you take a Viking or two and that like super bad pain just just goes away. Um, so like I I think that's the seductive thing is like if you go if you went through like I did the Nancy Reagan just say no marijuana, you know, like marijuana is the shortcut to sucking dick in an alleyway for drugs and you try marijuana and you're like, well, that's not so bad. And you try cocaine and it's like, well, that's not so bad. And you try LSD and it's like, well, that's not so bad. And then you try heroin and it's nothing like they've told you it's going to be. And the people that you're, you're, you're with a bunch of young, attractive people and they're all doing it together and they don't look like strung out junkies. And mm-hmm. ah, it's, I, I really wish we had better drug education for people because it's, it feels like we're setting young people up to, as soon as they find out we're all full of shit, like they're already going hundred miles an hour towards the cliff of like, actually, this is dangerous. This is the, like we, we should, we should save for heroin and meth. The things that we say about like marijuana. Yeah, totally. Uh, and honestly, alcohol, uh, alcohol sure. is, 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 is in that class of it can fuck up your life. And mm-hmm. by the time you realize, Oh shit, maybe that was a, a, a signpost. I shouldn't have mowed down. You're already over the cliff and right. it's, it's too late. You know, you need medical, you need medical help. Mm-hmm. Um, and man, that, what do you think about the doctor scene in the hospital where Jared Leto goes, checks in to get his fucking gangrene arm taken care of. And the doctor's just like fucking junkies call the cops. Yep. Uh, yeah, that, that really bothered me. Um, I, it, it's outrageous in a way that's like, this shouldn't happen, but I know it happens. You know, that's, that's the, and the, the person feels feel self-righteous like, doing it. Yeah. I, I'm just like, this person needs help. And, and at this point they clearly need medical help for their arm. Like what they don't need is to be thrown into a dank ass jail cell with a bunch of other people who are probably experiencing uh, mental and physical issues of their own. Um, and, and then to be sort of forced to work through this pain. I, I don't know, man, it, it was disturbing. It's one of the more disturbing things in the movie. Like, cause, cause it's something that is not within his control, I guess. Yeah. It's like watching a conquistador, convert natives for Christ right in a movie it's like a person that thinks they're so righteous and they're doing the right thing and the and their whole society has said like well these people are drug and they're like you know you're probably help whereas reality um the only thing you can do with the screw up a heroin user's life more than it already is is give him a criminal record you know like it's like this this is the movie sure. that like more so than even train spotting made it to be so obvious that this is a medical issue mm-hmm 
You know, if someone's got exposed to a toxic substance that made them like convulse and shiver and unable to hold a, down a job and conversation and made them lose weight, we would have a way to detox them and do all this stuff. And it wouldn't be, you know, you, you, you wouldn't be like, well, this is a personal fucking failing that you, you, you got this. Whereas like drugs, it's still the one area. And I've had like conversations with like my aunt who's like crazy anti-drug. And, you know, I, I remember like one of the conversations we had where she's talking about like, you know, when I've, I've been prescribed opiates and I just didn't take them. And like, she's so proud. I'm like, you're so proud of not taking a medication directed by your doctor for an, like, like yeah. if, if that's the standard of get living a good life that you have to double secret know that when the doctor prescribes you a pain medication after a surgery that you shouldn't take it because you're going to get addicted to hair, you know, like it's going to lead to you sucking dick for heroin in an alley. Like, I'm sorry. That's a system that I'm not subscribing to. Uh, Whereas like this involved, like, have you ever wanted something in your life? Mm -hmm. Have you ever felt down? Have you ever like been in a place where you wished you could just take the edge off? Um, Yeah. And if you were prescribed those those pain pills at a time where you were weak like that and exposed, would you have taken them? You know, that's or, or young that's and stupid. You and got, all your friends are doing it with no sure, apparent yeah. ill effect. That's the thing. Like, I, it's it's the luck of the draw in a lot of ways. Um, yeah. Whether or not you are susceptible to these sorts of things. And yeah, I mean, certainly, you know, this movie has helped um, probably more people then uh not I, I look at this and i see everybody saying like this is the movie right like if i was ever inclined to try heroin i just remember these scenes and i go no thanks and it was like that for me i i don't know actually if i've just never really been exposed to it because i have honestly never known anyone who's even tried heroin let alone been a regular user um so maybe maybe it's just I haven't been exposed to it, but I would certainly at this point just be like, nah, don't need it. No, thank you. I've seen Requiem for I, a Dream. Don't need it. Oh, for sure. Oh, for sure. And that's why, like, I was bit, you know, like, I, I don't I'm not, I haven't sat down and let, made Jack watch Requiem for a Dream, but he did watch tra- train spotting with me. And I think stuff yeah. like that, that's like, you know, when I because I'm like, you know, his dad, it's like, hey, you know, I'm big and like do your own research. You know, there's lots of, you know, if you, you look and, and research um, but there's some things that like, and I was like, you know, like, uh, smoking and drinking and weed, like, you know, I, I don't like those can definitely ruin your life in different ways, but there's some things that are like a sure thing. And I've, I've made very clear that like, you know, you need to really be careful. Uh, and, and when I say be careful, don't fucking do heroin or uh-huh. any opiates or meth, or there's a couple, there's a couple classes of drugs that are just like, nah, yeah. you, you really shouldn't fuck around with that stuff. And then try not to, um, you know, overly scare him about the things that are relatively harmless, you know? Like, yeah, because like I don't want him that. I, I, it's like I said, like the the heroin people that I've known um, and one of them is in serving time uh, for for related related bullshit drug shenanigans. It was very much like they were young. They were rebellious. They had been told by their parents a bunch of bullshit that wasn't true about life. And they get out there and they're like, oh, my parents are full of shit. They're full of shit about everything. Mm -hmm. And that you do not want a child to be where like, oh, it's opposite day actually out here. 
I yeah. want to have all the unprotected sex. I want to share all the needles. I want to, you know, do all the things and hang out with all the wrong people because, you know, that's the key. You you, you, you don't want that, man. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you really should structure your relationship with your child to where they don't ever feel that way about you. For sure. Uh, damn. If possible. Yeah. Yeah, if possible. And then there's the, uh, the scary thing, too. It's not just like, oh, this is a thing you need to get out of your 20s having not experienced or not got hooked on because then there's the Ellen Burstyn character, Sarah Goldfarb, um, who, boy, she seems to just stumble her way into this misery. You know, it's, it's not like she ever really fucked up. Um, it's all she wanted was to not be as lonely as she is to feel like her life had some kind of value at all. And that to her was like this opportunity of being on television and fitting into this dress that made her look as look good and feel good. And this was like her return to a time in her life where she did feel like that. Right. Before her husband died, before her son was a junkie, when she was still young and fit and beautiful. And And she made her whole damn life without any of those issues and then here this comes and all she wants is not to be as lonely as she is and for people to like her and boom she's hooked on speed there's so many there's so so many boomers and old gen xers that were all on that just say no and had gone their whole life without drugs and then the opioid crisis hit them because they just right they got their back, they got down on their back and they got 90 Vicodin a month and six refills and nobody check. And they got hooked on it because it's impossible not to. Like, it does seem that if you take opioids, like if you take if you take it for extreme pain under prescription for doctor, you either take them for a week or two to get the worst and you, you taper off or you're in hospice care and you're going to die. And opioids is probably going to be the thing that kills you. Like if you, most people right, don't die in this right. country to stage four cancer, they die of uh, an induced opioid overdose, essentially, from what I can tell from right. having two grandparents that I've seen it happen to. Um, other than that, you shouldn't fucking take it because if you just yeah. take opioids for just because or just or just take a little bit or, or for long term, you're going to get addicted to it. It's a biological uh, just like if you you know you you smoke long enough and 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 for for uh, you smoke enough and long enough you're going to get emphysema or lung cancer. It's like one of those things where it's, it's just going to happen to you. Except for this happens super fucking quick, you know. Um, yeah, I'm pretty averse to most medications. I try. I try. I've been uh, prescribed Vicodin before when I had my wisdom teeth true. pulled. Yeah. Um, and I took like one or two very small doses. Yeah. Didn't really notice it doing a whole lot. Um, and so I stopped taking them because uh, I didn't really need them. Uh, I, I've, I, yeah, I, I'm just not the kind of person who takes a lot of medications. I, I do an aspirin. Is it because of movies like this? Because I've noticed like, I've noticed you're determine. way adverse because like I'll take, you know, like if I get a cold, fuck yeah, I'll take uh you know, stuff that thins my lungs out and makes my nose open. And like, I don't have an, and an Tylenol and things like that, but I'm medication. with you. I'm with you when it comes to like, Oh yeah, yeah. Like I'd be prescribed when I'd have a surgery or something like that. And I'd always have be the guy that had like, 
a couple bottles of Vicodin rattling around in my sock drawer because, you know, maybe I'll need them one of these days right. or if I'm in severe. But like, I just never like if they gave me 30, I'd take seven. And, yeah. you know, but I'm not know. saying I, that I because I, I'm like virtuous. Like, I'm not no, saying no, like I'm I did lucky. the right thing. I just, yeah, I was my lucky personality and I was is not such that. I'm inclined to to indulge in those particular vices. Like I have my own. Like food is one. Um, yeah, I, and I've mostly got that under control in my life to where I haven't blown up again like I did in my twenties. But yeah, well, here's it, a pill you can take. <laughs> right, gives you so much energy it just and makes pep. You, not you look hungry. better. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you, and then and then you might you might grind your teeth and be up late at night. But you know what? There's another pill. It's true. Make all that stop. Yeah. God. <laughs> God, that's the thing. I just and no, just like oh, and she cycle. kept on going to her doctor for help, and he gets like I was when he gave her the prescription for like fucking Valium, right? And I'm like, oh my god, this is like like fucking Wolf of Wall Street shit. Yeah. Uh, this is housewife. She has no idea, and there's so there's so heartbreaking. There's a part part where she, part there's a part where she could have got help. There's a part uh, where she could have got help, and her own son, yeah, the heroin addict, sits down and is like, ma. Your fucking eyes are like pinpricks and your jaws jacking side to side. You're a mess. You're and she's yeah. like, look, this is a this is give me a reason to get up and smile. It makes mm-hmm. the concept of tomorrow all right. Why shouldn't I? And I think that's the requiem of the American dream is that we have so many people that are like, why am I doing like you, you see this posted so much as like the 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 effort required to clothe and feed yourself becomes burdensome mm-hmm. and like people in their 20s and 30s talking it this way and like realizing like oh my god this is the rest of my life and i'm gonna do it until i'm in the grave why when someone says why shouldn't i x where x is an alternative to this what is the good answer to that yeah um if and more and more people <laughs> more and more yeah. people feel like they're being forced onto those off ramps where it's like the American dream of finding someone that you love, raising children with them, getting your own house, having your own kingdom, passing on something better. Like there's becoming more and more. And again, it's not closed off forever. That's why the system is still working. But more and more right. people are like not finding that that success, that contentment um, for various reasons in life. And, you know, like there's it's it's no coincidence that like, you know, it's not just the um, the fentanyl, but like the overdoses that have gone on in this country has just skyrocketed in the last like five years. Um, yeah, I mean, the, op- been in- the opioid crisis didn't come about because just because the pills are so addictive and just because right. people have a lot of physical and, pain yeah. and over prescriptions and all that. It came about because there's a fundamental problem uh, in our society that is driving people to solutions quote unquote quote unquote solutions like that uh so yeah i i'm i'm in agreement i i think a lot of people desire a better place in their life and they're looking for literally anything that can make them feel like it's okay what were they going for because aronofsky a couple times did this vignette where like jared leto pulls a cop's gun uh, like almost sequences. an intrusive thought or yeah. like Jennifer Connelly's having dinner with her therapist that she's trying to pimp herself out to. And she screams in his face, you smug fucker. Um, and then it cuts back. Like the first time it happened, I'm like, God, I do not remember him pulling a gun on this cop. How's it going to end? What do you I, think? I remembered was- that these were, were fantasy sequences. Um, is it just an intrusive thought? Uh, or is it like, 
Yeah, because I feel like the the one that Jennifer Connelly experiences and the one that Jared Leto experiences are fundamentally different. You know, mm. like Jennifer Connelly, like this is a thing she wishes she could do because this smug fuck. This is like she the, the, the free animal inside her one last time trying to get out of this cage that she's putting herself into. Right. Whereas Jared Leto, it just seems like this is a random thought that like, yeah, he wouldn't have if he were sober. But mm. it, yeah, so I mean, and these are both definitely like the heroine speaking, but in different ways. Because I feel like that the Jennifer Connelly one is almost like a good idea. You know, you shouldn't stab the guy in the yeah, head yeah. with a fork, but you got to get out of this. This, yeah. this is not a good road for you to go down. Whereas Jared Leto's was like, this is psychotic, man. <laughs> this mm-hmm. is Yeah, this will get you. This is going to ruin your life. Yeah. They also do a couple things where I think it's interesting that the movie, the language of cinema is telling me that this is a bad idea and it's going to go poorly, but it it turns out all right. Like there's a scene where like him and uh, Marlon Wayne get their first score mm-hmm. and they're going to do, they're going to, they're going to flip it. You know, they're going to take the, the, the dime bag and turn it into a 20 cent bag or whatever the fuck you do. Yeah. Uh, and they're like, but it's the most dope they've ever had, mm-hmm. you know, like look at all this dope. And Marlon wants to give it a little taste and Leto's like, look, man, I'm scared. If we play this right, we're going to be set for life. But if we get wasted, we're going to fuck it up. And then Marlon's mm-hmm. like, ah, just a little taste. Okay. And they shoot it. I thought that was going to go terribly, but yeah. it didn't. And I wondered if that was some of these things are the movie's ways of kind of like making, putting you in that mindset of like, this guy's trying to be cautious. Mm-hmm. He's trying to go in with his eyes open. It's just not going to matter in the long. And, and like, you're not, you know, like you're not going to fuck up right away. Well, and that's and the it's circumstance thing. also, you know, it's not just like weak will or like, you get tricked into something or peer pressured into something and boom, your life's over. It's also like circumstance too, because a lot of what happens later is just circumstance. You know, I, they were on a great trajectory and then the streets dried up and now suddenly his girlfriend who has been hooked on this stuff because she's been doing it Mm. with him is pressuring him to go find the shit. Right. Which pushes her into going to sleeping with Arnold in order to get the money to get the fix. And then he, they're like, okay, we're going to be back on the road. But then this, the streets, you know, there's a special delivery and the streets dry up again and it's worse. And then she, you know, it's a cycle and it's all like, yeah, there's an addiction there and it's driven by like circumstance and desire um, and mm-hmm. desperation. It's like all of those things mixed into a powerful stew. Whereas you might be able to avoid the outcome with just one or two of those things in the mix. You put them mm-hmm. all together and you're just fucked that's a good point too because you're right like i don't think there's any version of this movie where they just live the rest of their lives selling probably not you know but like you're right it was an external thing like uh probably a big drug bust or some supplies chain problem a lot the streets get now like uh that animal instead of being kind of like able to function Mm-hmm. Um, cause I also saw like one doctor say like being addicted to heroin. It's interesting because like the only, the medical problem is not having the heroin. Yeah. Like a person that's just blissing out on heroin is not necessarily a huge societal problem. They can hold down jobs. They can do that as long as they can get their fix. Um, and so like, yeah, they were 
solid citizens. He's like appearing to his mom and being like, everything's going great. And I got this beautiful girlfriend and they're having fun and they're like, you know, naked, buying admiring each other's bodies and having great. Yeah. Buying her gifts, uh, having a nice place to the, the, the her career is taking off. All these mm-hmm. things are happening. And then for something out of control, it like out of their control, you know, they, they hit the end of the, the, the road. That yeah. interest. That's an interesting point. I think it's what, else wanna, what is it? It's when his like dealer Brody or whatever gets shot, right? Like he's going. Oh, to, is that that's right. is going that's to buy something. stuff. His dealer gets killed, and then the streets yeah, get and he too gets, dicey for. And their at the same time, he has to bail his friend out. So like they had a little cushion, but that pretty much ate right. up the cushion. But they didn't worry about it because hey, we'll fill it up. It's so easy to fill up the first time, but then the streets got tight. Right. Yeah, it's all these things beyond, you know, when you're doing a criminal enterprise, all those things are beyond your control, mm-hmm. <laughs> it turns out. Then you got to go steal a whole barrel of methylamine. It's a it's a train sequence. Yeah. It's a thing, you know? Yeah. Uh, we've got other, the, the, he wants us to consider other points. Do we want to go by that or do you have some other stuff you want to talk about before we get to that? There's one other scene that is interesting. So it's during, it's right before like the big climax of this thing where the, you know, try, the soundtrack kicks in and everything. It's Marlon Wayans um, and Jared Leto. They're in prison. Jared Leto has not got help for his arm yet. And there's just like this moment where Marlon Wayans is standing at the bars saying, my friend needs help. Please, Mm -hmm. somebody fucking help us. Just fucking help Mm -hmm. us. Mm -hmm. That to me was the moment that kicked me in the teeth because I feel like that is all drug addicted people screaming out, just somebody fucking help us. Don't throw us in prison what we need is help not punishment yeah and we can't like sit and figure out all the different agencies we got to call to get like you need something that can step in and, and, and help in a comprehensive way we also need a place we need something to do uh Back, it's my understanding back in the 70s, our mental institutions were cr- terrible, inhumane places, and the government decided, well, this can't be allowed to go on. And their solution was just to shutter them and turn all the mentally ill people loose and treat them as needed in emergency rooms. And this so much of our homeless problem and the drug problem is untreated mental illness. And we need yeah. comprehensive solutions because it's the definition of torture to ask a person who's mentally compromised to go through all the hoops mm-hmm. required to get the help that is there. And a lot of the help that's there is not even adequate. So, right. And that's just, I don't know if you're depressed, let alone if you have substance abuse, abuse issues that go along with that. And and the way they shoot that last 10 minutes feels like a torture porn horror film. It feels like saw, it, it feels like right. hostile. Yeah. You know, like you are being objectified and dehumanized and almost like the and literally being butchered in the case of Jared Leto. You know, they're mm-hmm. they're amputating his fucking arm. Um, Goddamn. Yeah. This is this is really like I feel like this movie is a masterpiece. It is. It is incredible in the way that it builds its story um, in into mm. this conclusion where you can feel like these people could have been okay. There was a time when these people, if they had gotten the help they wanted and needed could have been okay. And because they didn't get it and because we didn't give it to them, this is now their life. And, and the way that it builds that final scene with all four uh, outcomes being intercut under what is perhaps the most epic soundtrack of all time <laughs> it's possible that that one song is just so good 
uh it's so it's, powerful yeah it's like it's like the train wreck in the fugitive lasting for 15 minutes and it's just all human carnage yeah you know it's just a disaster that just keeps piling and piling and piling yeah and then and then i, I see those scenes and i scale it up right i think about all the people who are addicted to to drugs who live lives like this and have these outcomes it's not you know these four people are a proxy for the way we treat everybody who has illnesses that need to be addressed, but we outlaw them. You know, it's it's so sad. the The ending of this movie is so fucking sad, and so it really is, and so you know, scarring to to watch this movie. Like I said, this movie's climax is burned into my brain. I cannot forget those images and, and the it's feelings that come along with it. Because like when I was 25 and I watched this movie, it's like, oh, my God, this could happen to me or my friends. Right. And now when I watch as a 45, I'm like, oh, my God, this could happen to my child or my nieces or nephews or, you know, it's like it's it's different. But yeah. And, but and my relationship ter- with it, you know, just just understanding like how systemically we're botching this. Right. Like if if. Oh, yeah. Because you're right. It used to be when I was 18. I'm like, OK, never, never heroin. Not me. That's that's fucked up and heroin will ruin your life. And it's probably true still, but like mm-hmm. the way we address the problems that people who the root causes of these problems yeah. is so fucked up. And we, it's just, it's not even that it's not helpful. It's that it's actively harmful the way we do. Yeah. It. And the, the, realize that like, yeah, like I, it's like, it's not a personal failing or a personal virtue that you've avoided this. Like if you came right. from the right family, the wrong school, the wrong, you know, you had the wrong influences, you're given the wrong information. Like this is essentially a shotgun that just goes through society and it's going to kill the people that it kills. And it's going to ruin a lot. It's going to maim the people that it maims. And uh, the way we've got society set up currently ensures that that's going to continue to happen to generations and generations. And you know, anything about intergenerational trauma, it just gets even scarier. So, Right. It's like if you come into the ER with a shotgun wound and they arrest you and throw you into jail. Because Which it does happen. It, I think uh, if you show treatment. up in the emergency room with a surprise gunshot wound, they will. You will wake up handcuffed to the bed with a detective wanting to ask you questions. So there's a well, lot of fucking perverse yeah, incentives. I mean, maybe to, that's not the, the best. Maybe you come in with a, yeah. a oh, you cut your finger on a bandsaw or something and they yeah. throw you in jail. What the fuck? That's not what you yeah, need. Yeah, because carpentry is illegal. Right. You know, yeah. Um, should we get to Nick's uh, comments? Sure. Let's do it. All right. Uh, casting, we covered most of this. Uh, he said that he wanted to give a key attention to some of the minor characters like Marlon Wayans holding his own with eventual Oscar winners during a scary movie phase. Shooter McGavin giving off Tom Cruise and Magnolia vibes. That was all shot in the day. Largely improvised by him, by the way. Okay. Uh, and of course, the president from Rick and Morty delivering a line burned in my cerebellum. I know it's pretty, baby, but I didn't take it out for air. <laughs> The right. way they shot him, Keith David, like his teeth, like it's like the smile, like it's predatory oh, uh, yeah. is really effective. And the phone call when she first calls him. Yeah. And she starts crying or whatever. And he starts laughing, you know, because yeah. he knows this is he knows he's got one on so, the hook. Yeah. It's like those pimps in the be- in early goings of uh, uh, the deuce where they see the girls coming off the train stations from the right. room. They're just like, oh, my God, lambs for the slaughter. Mm-hmm. 
Cinematography editing. Editing. I'm curious about your takes on the various split screens, quick cut montages, title cards, use of repetition throughout the movie. I remember being in love with it as a college kid, and this go around was less enamored, but found the use of it to accelerate the transitions from pre-post drug use, i.e. Jared Leto in the cab on his way home from his mom's after discovering upper downer use is really effective. I I wasn't bothered at all. Like I definitely saw this as an MTV edit. But it's so propulsive and it's I think it's key to the way this movie works, which is just like I said, it's a tilt. It just spirals faster and faster and faster. And I, th- I those quick cuts in the drug scenes um, where they're actually shooting up, it, it serves to make it like an unthinking sort of impulse. Right. It's it's not even that they yeah. consider, hey, I want to do heroin right now because that's what makes me feel good. It's like a response to uh, uh, some kind of trigger It's just like, yeah this is what happens. I'm doing it now and it's, and it's done and it's over. And uh, the other scene um, that I think is very sexy and is actually heightened by the editing is that split screen scene when they're in bed. Um, Mm. It's, it's very efficient, you know, and it's very effective in, in selling like that feeling of, of young love, right? Like they're exploring each other's bodies, just like they're exploring life. Um, Yeah. And I, I found like you could have shot that static with them laying next to each other, looking at each other's eyes, but I thought it was more effective with that close up split screen. Uh, curious on you and Jim's take on whose heart storyline is the most heartbreaking. <laughs> Surprisingly, Marlon, like it's the one that actually broke me. The, the simultaneous seeing him through as a little boy and as this broken adult really and the experiencing the grief through his mother or grandmother like what they must be feeling that's what got me this time around uh before i'd probably say marion yeah marion's i'm man but she's also a cipher we don't know anything about her other than she's her parents are rich and she hates them yeah we don't know a ton about jared leto's past either um his dad died which i think kind of fucked him up um I, I think the hardest to watch stuff is the mother, though, because by the time yeah, she goes to the mental hospital the thing, and they're man. doing, uh, she has no, she's, they're just torturing an animal that can't comprehend it. It's, and she's, she can't come back. Like, that, no, that's the thing. When I look gone. at all these other kids, I'm like, they could come back from this. You know, they it's going to be hard, but they can have lives after this. A, she's too old to, for, for this not to affect her for the rest of her life, but B, this mental condition. Oh, God, her friend She's weeping done. outside the hospital after they see her. God damn. That's because that's the other thing yeah. is the this is just the epicenter of the trauma. When you go through these people's friends and family and loved ones right. like this is taking out dozens, if not hundreds of people in the grief and despair cycle. Um, yeah. So I feel like it's it's her. Hers is the most affecting to me, but I don't know. How, how does this compare to train spotting? He wants to know. Uh boy, I don't remember a ton of train spotting. I remember certain scenes from train spotting for sure. I don't remember how that all turns out for him. It's hard because I think they're different movies and because this is train spotting is a movie about drugs for a hundred percent. Sure. Oh yeah. Um, this movie is about a lot more than that through the lens of drugs. And mm-hmm. I think it's the one that's more haunting for sure yeah probably right um but anyway you also want to know if we ever dove into black swan the wrestler the fountain not the fountain but i think we've got a podcast on the black swan uh and i've definitely seen and admire the hell out of the wrestler yeah 
that might great. be my favorite Aronofsky film. All in all, hmm. I probably need to see that again. But uh, yeah, I wonder yeah. how it would compare to this because boy, this is up there. Well, Nicholas, thank you so much for commissioning this podcast. I won't say I had a lot of fun, but it was an interesting thing to talk about with my best friend here. And uh, hopefully some other people will be turned on to this movie or we can just think, my God, the lessons that you can learn from it, um, because it is definitely it's, it's one of those other movies that keeps getting more and more relevant um, and and what it shows about society and how we see things. Uh, if you would like to commission your podcast, if you'd like to inflict psychic trauma, emotional damage to Jim and I, it's easy. Go to support.baldmove.com. Sorry. <laughs> support.baldmove.com. I talked over it. Support.baldmove.com and uh, put put your money put your money down. Tell us what movie you want to watch. We'll take it from there. Uh, but thanks again, Nicholas. I uh, hope you enjoyed this movie to the extent that you can enjoy anything derived from this this bleak this this bleak garden of despair. Uh, we'll be back with another commission podcast before you know it. Uh, thanks for listening to this one until the next time I'm Aaron and I'm Jim. See ya.